we walk into this party, there's music playing, I look over, and the DJ behind the table is Stu, the professor I had my freshman year, and now you know I've gone on, I've gone into radio, I'm at ESPN, and I went up and I said, you know, it was your comment on day one of this freshman 100 level course. Do you get people that like do the radio voice? Do you get that? Of course, and then I hold my, my hand up to my left ear. And I, <laughs> And I dropped down a couple of decibels and, <laughs> and okay, where's your phone? Where's your phone? I, I can record your greeting for you. Yes, I work at ESPN, but it's not who I am. You know, and so there's all these little instances that remind you that that's what I do. It's not who I am. When she was recruiting kids at UCLA, the recruiting would begin in the parking lot. They would watch out the window of the families pulling up in their car. Who opens the door for who, who walks in first, and just the dynamic of the family. And all these little things that go into making a person, it's not just about balls and strikes and fundamentals, it's, a, it's about growing the person. Over the course of, of my career, I've interviewed musicians, I've interviewed the Dalai Lama, I've interviewed- Wait a second. <laughs> We've had this whole conversation and you haven't talked about interviewing the Dalai Lama. Do I have to bring you back? Is that, are you holding that one out? Hey, hey, Brian Miller here and welcome back to One New Person, the show where we take a closer look at chance encounters to remind ourselves that every interaction is meaningful and every person we meet is important. Today's guest is one of the most recognizable voices in sports. But even his diehard fans wouldn't know it if they were standing in line next to him. For over two decades, Jay Reynolds has anchored ESPN SportsCenter Radio. We met years ago when his kids signed up for a community magic class I was teaching, and we've been friends ever since. In this episode, Jay opens up about what it's like to be a famous person who rarely gets recognized in the real world. How he went from being an average but passionate athlete as a kid to a renowned career in broadcast sports journalism. What coaching youth athletics taught him about life, parenting, and education. And how to connect with millions of listeners you can't even see as if they're the only person in the room. This conversation is full of wild stories and a lot of laughs. Remember to subscribe via your favorite podcast streaming service at onenewperson.com and share the episode with your sports friends on social media using hashtag onenewperson, all spelled out, so we can find you and thank you. Now please enjoy my chat with Jay Reynolds. You're listening to the One New Person Podcast. All right, Jay, thanks so much for being here today. I really, uh, really appreciate it. Glad I could be here, Brian. Do you remember how we actually met? It, it's a chicken and egg thing. I don't remember if my kid took a magic class from you first and then we met uh, when you were doing close-up magic or if it was the reverse and, and I saw the magic first and said, oh, you should take lessons from Brian. So I'm having the same chicken and egg and I was hoping you would have an answer. I can't remember if we started... If you saw me doing magic at a local restaurant, um, but you know what I do remember is I remember that I was doing magic at a fundraiser that you were emceeing. Do you remember that? That and that came about because I knew you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, because people 
say, oh, you're comfortable speaking in front of groups. Why don't you MC this fundraiser? And so I've done, you know, multiple schools and, and fundraisers like that. But I, but I think we knew each other prior to that. Yeah, I think so too. I, I think it must have been the restaurant, and then, um, and then your uh, your oldest started taking uh, magic lessons with me privately, and that was like eight plus years ago. And that was after you taught in town, you had group lessons at at the local school. That's right, yeah. I was doing that when I first moved to Connecticut and I just, I was trying to figure out how to build a business from scratch and I was still a local magician and I was like, well, if I teach group magic lessons in a, in a middle class area, maybe there will be parents who are, you know, the owners of local companies who might want me at their holiday party. Like that was the thought process and it, it turned into so much more than that because I really enjoyed uh I enjoyed the lessons, uh, both group and and privately. Um, and my kid was probably ten at the time, and and she said, "Oh, he he's funny, he's good." And then we went to the restaurant where you would work, you know, close up magic at the tables. And then I just remember you pulling a I don't know a potato or a, a lemon or something from under a coffee mug, and I said, "Okay." <laughs> Now I see what you're talking about. I was. I was still using a potato. Yeah, I was pulling a potato out of a cup at, uh, at restaurants. That's, uh, that's too funny. So, uh, so we may come back uh, to that, but why don't we back up for a second because you had mentioned because you're comfortable speaking in public. So even though I record my intros after the fact, so our folks listening will have already heard your background from me, why don't you, uh, why don't you answer this question? When these days, when you meet someone at a cocktail party or a social gathering, let's say you did, uh, I don't know if you do those things. I don't. I always ask that question as assuming that's a thing people do. Um, if someone asks you, what do you do? How do you answer? Uh, the short answer is it depends on who's asking. If, you know, if it's the IRS form, it's straight broadcast journalist. Uh, and it, but it often depends on the setting because it and maybe you ran into this as a magician if you there were times where you didn't want to have to answer the oh show me a trick if mm-hmm. you said oh I'm a magician uh, same thing when I I work at ESPN but I uh, I anchor Sports Center on ESPN Radio and there's there's a connotation that comes with oh he works at ESPN and if you're in a short conversation. And you're moving on. You don't want to get caught into the oh, what do the Milwaukee Brewers need at the trade deadline in order, to, you know, the, because those conversations become inevitable when your professional life deals around sports. I don't mind talking about that if I have the time, you know. But there are situations where you're like, oh, you know, I I don't want to get into that now. So you just say, you know, I'm I'm a journalist. I'm a broadcast journalist. I do. I do sports, but the but the short the short answer is you know I I do Sports Center for ESPN Radio on on radio. That is such a cool job description, and it's such a uh, and and I imagine it's not just a cool job description. I imagine it's also a very cool job. Uh, what is it that you enjoy most about being you know a, a broadcast journalist for for ESPN? The the cool thing is no two days are ever the same. I I look at. The people and the people you've had on this podcast. You know, I don't have doctor in front of my name. I don't have three letters after my name. Uh, I'm I don't have multiple best-selling books that have been published. I I I work. I watch sport. I watch sports. I tell you about sports. We analyze the sports, and tomorrow it's something entirely different, which is just as exciting. And and every time I go to work, uh, 
I may see something that I've, I've never seen before. And I've been doing this for a couple of decades. And it's, it's just amazing. That sounds like the dream job of like a 15-year-old who's into sports. <laughs> like, is that how you feel? I'm, of course. You, you sit there and to paint the picture, I sit in a studio that has a dozen large TVs in it. And I watch, depending on the season, basketball, baseball, football, hockey, curling. <laughs> <laughs> and I watch those sports and then, and then we talk about them. Uh, and it's... That's so cool. I love that. The job description is I, I, I watch sports and then we talk about them. <laughs> um, but there's, there's, let's dig into that a little bit because I, I'm guessing that that's a funny and cute, quick way to describe what you do. That's probably gets a big laugh at, at, at parties and when you tell it quickly like that. But, you know, let's, let's dig into that a little bit. I'm guessing, like, I don't really know, and I'm sure many of my listeners don't really know the nitty gritty of what goes into that. Is it... Is it live? Is it research? Do you, how much of the statistics do you need to know? Do you have different people that do the stats that feed you research? Take me through that. We are blessed at ESPN to have an incredible research department. Whether you see somebody on TV, whether you hear somebody on the radio, yes, they're the ones that you hear and you associate with what you're, in my case, listening to on the radio on a nightly basis. But the people behind the scenes, it's, it's like any other medium, uh, whether it's a newspaper and you've got hosts of reporters or a magazine or, uh, with photographers and editors and uh, the behind the scenes staff. It's the same thing with radio and TV. The, the number of people behind the scenes that make us look and sound good is incredible. And yes, we, uh, we have a research department that is second to none at, at ESPN. So, I mean, they, they make us sound really good. But yes, we go there every night and you know, we're, we're spending a few hours before we actually hit the air doing research and, and writing and, and all that that goes into a show. And are you still doing the all night? Yes. The show airs from, from 1 to 5 a.m. Uh, and so you know, the show's on at 1 and you're doing at least three hours of prep. It's so crazy that you're that you, that you do one to five a.m. Um, who who's listening at one to five a.m. Apart from occasionally me, because I think it's funny to hear you on my way to an early flight. And I'll say one to five a.m. Eastern, because here you know we're uh-huh. as we have this chat, we're on the East Coast. It's obviously three hours earlier on the West Coast. People yeah. in Alaska and 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 the way that media has changed in the past couple of decades now you know, with apps and, and online, you can be listening anywhere. So it, it just happens to be East Coast time, 1 a.m. is when we're on, which is, for the most part, as games are finishing up, especially West Coast games, uh, baseball, basketball, hockey, you know, now that's when everything's finishing up and people are driving home from games or ending their evenings. And you know, so those, those people who have are sports fans are up either watching or listening at that hour. How do you get from being a kid who's into sports? And, and maybe let's even back up a little bit further than that. Uh, were you, I mean, I assume you were an athlete. I, I grew up playing youth sports as anybody else, you know, in-season sports. Now, in this day and age, kids specialize a lot earlier than they did when you and I were mm. growing up. But, you know, I played soccer in the fall, baseball in the spring, played a little bit of CYO basketball. Mm-hmm. 
never never an outstanding athlete, but I I loved it. I and and as a kid, I I would always say there's really two types of of sports fans when you're a kid. There's the one who reads the back of the baseball cards and memorizes the statistics, and the one who watches somebody on TV and says, "Oh, I want to go out in the backyard and try and replicate that play or that dive or that swing." And I was that the latter. I wanted to go out and just play. You know, you knew the big stats, but I didn't memorize, you know, what was his batting average in 1983. And that just wasn't me. So growing up, yes, always always a sports fan. I, times growing up, I would have my little tape recorder and a microphone. I would sit in my room and pretend that I was on the radio. Usually, usually more like a music DJ, but you know, my little radio station was WJAY and I would sit <laughs> in my room and, and that was my radio experience, never thinking that that was going to be my career. It, it, looking back on it now as an adult, looking back, say, wow, look at, I've always been interested in that, but that was never front of mind. You know, what's so funny about that is that I get asked a lot, you know, especially when I was still like a full-time magician, uh, you, you know, did you always want to be a magician? And I used to always tell people, I never wanted to be a magician. Like, I liked magic tricks, but I never wanted to be a magician. I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to be a cartoonist. I wanted to be a pro basketball player. There's a lot of things I wanted to be. Um, but magician wasn't one of them. And I go, yeah. And then my mom heard me say that once and must have dug through her basement, took a bunch of photos of old photos and texted them to me and said, see, you did want to be a magician. She found photos of me at like five years old wearing a cape and a top hat with a whole bunch of my friends and I was doing magic for them. And they were laughing and people, and she said, and she goes, and here's a photo of you doing magic tricks in your class at school. You went in and the teacher loved it. And here's when we brought you to a magician. And she's like, it was a part of like your entire childhood. And I'm like, that's so, so like looking back, you go, well, it was right there the whole time. But I never had the, the thought, I want to be a magician until much, much later. When did, when did that shift happen for you? My, the shift actually happened uh, because of my procrastination. <laughs> and I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But the, my... <laughs> Sorry. That was unintentionally very funny. Okay. Unintended. <laughs> my parents kept a lot of the stuff I did in school. And uh, at some point, I think it was early in high school, you do one of those career evaluation things. You, know, you fill out the form and you color in the bubbles and it tells you what you're supposed to be. I found it years later. And what, I'm, what I wound up doing uh, as an adult professionally really was what it told me in high school that I was going to be doing. And I said, wow, that maybe there's some merit to these things. I went to college, expect, I went to college for communication, uh, journalism, and expected to be a print writer, uh, newspapers, magazines. My junior year was coming to an end. I said, oh, well, this is the summer where I, I need an internship. And of course, you know, the school year ends in what May, beginning of May or something, and, and I'm probably there mid-April looking for an internship. Mm. <laughs> and I go to the internship office, and without laughing at me, they kind of laughed at me and said, "What are you coming in here now for?" The internship director was more than kind and knew somebody in Connecticut who was working at a radio station. He was from the same school. From I went to Marist College in upstate New York in Poughkeepsie. Mm. 
And he was a graduate of Marist, called him up, said, listen, I've got this guy who's going to be in Connecticut for the summer. You want to take him on as an intern? He said, sure. So I, I went and I worked in radio for that summer between my junior and senior year. Yeah. Because it was a small FM pop music station, who the news guy was the, was the morning show sidekick. That was the extent of the news department uh, for this station. So that radio station was the official radio station for the local outdoor concert venue in Connecticut that summer. So my job as the intern, because he couldn't stay up late at night, so my job was to go to all these concerts, interview all the acts that came through, and and so that was I was backstage the entire summer interviewing all these rock acts. Metallica, Debbie Gibson, New Kids on the Block. That's awesome. Mickey Dolan's, the, the Chicago, the Beach Boy, you know, just the full gamut, you know, not just one genre. And I came out of that summer saying, okay, this, this is cool. Radio, is, radio, I think, is what I want to do. And that really just kind of kicked it in. You were doing a lot of interviewing with the, uh, with the bands. Uh, as part of Sports Center. are you doing, is it predominantly interviewing or is it mostly, what, you're mostly doing that? The, that, and that has changed over the couple of decades because you think in the mid-90s, you know, two decades ago, us giving the scores was the focus of SportsCenter. Pre-Google. And, and now everybody has the scores on their phones. You know, there's so many ways to get. In real time. Correct. And so now it's more, what does it mean? So whether it's talking about a, a play, a player, the analysis of a game, the analysis of a, of a trade, it, it's advancing what we have seen uh, more than just, oh, they won three to two or they won seven to six. You know, and, it's, and that has been a huge change over the, over the years. So you know, we, we talk about the analysis of what this particular game meant. We talk about what this trade does, what the upcoming season should look like for a particular team and, and, and analyze the world of sports a lot more than we did just a few years ago. Is that more interesting, more exciting for you than, uh, or do you like miss the days when you were just rattling off the stats? Rattling, rattling off stats, as you can imagine, especially in a format like radio, yeah. you start throwing numbers. If I start rattling off numbers to you right now, you're going to hear the first few, and then and, blah, 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 right, yeah. and then it just all becomes jumble. Yeah. Uh, so being able to talk about something uh, is. Is much more fulfilling. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, so and and is that why your interviews have crept in now? Because you, you need to be like, what sorts of people are you talking to? The athletes? Are you talking to managers? Are you talking to uh, outside experts? Who are you usually dealing with? Most of the audio that you will hear, even on whether it's TV or, or radio, you'll will have somebody at a game that will do an interview, you know, with a player after the game, that type of thing. Uh, or the managers or the coaches, and then when we're putting together a show, you're you're looking more breaking down different aspects of of the game or a season, and and so you're talking to usually local reporters, whether it's somebody from a local paper, a local radio station, local TV station, to get more of a flavor of because generally we're not there, 
you know, we're we're located in ESPN's in Central Connecticut, and you know, we're sitting in a studio, like I said, watching multiple TVs. And then if we talk to somebody, it's usually somebody who is at a particular game. Let's say Kobe Bryant retires. Or, you know, okay, tell me tell me what it was like in the building that night. Those, oh, interesting. Those those types of, of feelings that you can you can't get when you're watching on TV. Yeah, and that that kind of makes me think about the the transition. Uh, you know, the the digital world. I mean, the digital rev- revolution just changed everything. I get we already talked about how it changed the the access to stats. I mean, you don't need someone to just rattle those off anymore. I mean, uh, I mean, Christ, like kids don't need to learn how to use calculators anymore. Remember when we were, hey, you're never going to have a calculator in your pocket. You need to know how to learn how to do this math. Turns out, no, I can just talk to any device in the room and it will give me the answer to the craziest equations. Um, but I feel like the digital revolution also changed you know, the, the, the focus of the spoken word. Like the spoken word medium is, is, podcasting has exploded over the past couple of years. Obviously, that's the format we're in right now. And to what extent do you feel the pull being in, would you call what you're doing still traditional radio? And, it, and it's odd because I, I'm not in any of the meetings whatsoever about how ESPN decides platforms. Sure. But that said, there, there are so many platforms that you can't leave this one behind and go in this direction. You know, ESPN has a, has a ton of podcasts. Now, but that doesn't mean they're not still doing cable television and and terrestrial radio. Uh, it's it's all in addition to what you've been doing all along. Uh, and and it, but it's great because and, and I had a boss once who who referred to it as uh, platform agnostic. Mm. Didn't didn't care where we were as long as ESPN Radio was out there. That's a good thing uh, because this was when satellite radio was was breaking out of the scene. And you know, wow, should we be there? Well, absolutely. You know, the the more you can get. The ESPN brand out there. Who cares what form it's in? Uh, and, Interesting. And the the, the more blank and and this is probably a you know overgeneralization because like I said I wasn't in the meetings but the the more you can get out there and the more access people have to you the better off you are. But yeah. the, but the industry has certainly changed. Oh yeah yeah it's 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 changed and um, I'm curious about the. The radio voice itself, right? When you talk, when people talk about that radio voice, do you do you get people like when I was a magician? It was just you're a magician, show me a trick, All right? You're a comedian, tell me a joke, which is like no, that's not that's not the thing, right? That's not how it works. Do you get people that like do the radio voice? Do you get that? Of course. And then I hold my my hand up to my left ear, and I, <laughs> and I drop down a couple of decibels, and <laughs> and okay, where's your phone? Where's your phone? I, I can record your greeting for you. Oh my god. Uh, Have you been requested to do that? To record, uh, to like not from a stranger, but, from but but yeah, not. It doesn't happen on a regular basis. But I will. <laughs> the people will tell me that my voice in in everyday life is different from the broadcast voice. I've okay. had I've had my kids come and sit in the studio when I do a show, and they say, "Wow, Dad, you sound so different." And you know, I don't think of it. It's just it's what I do. You know, you turn the mic on, you start talking, and that's I. <laughs> I had a friend from college who had a, about a 50-minute drive to and from work every day, and he would listen every night and didn't realize that it was me 
until I happened to mention our alma mater. I mentioned Marist College basketball at some point, and it clicked in. <gasps> Jay Reynolds. And he called me up, and I said, I was your roommate. <laughs> <laughs> and But he never made that connection. And I... It, it it is a different voice for the record. I mean, I've I've you know been driving to the airport at three a.m. and uh, you know I remember especially when I first when we first met and I you know we started seeing each other on a more regular basis and and uh, and I discovered that there was one day I remember I was driving to the airport at three a.m. for four thirty flight or something like that five five o'clock flight and I I went I bet Jay's on right now and I, I don't use the radio. I don't, I'm one of the, I, I listen to my own curated stuff. I'm not a radio guy. I never have been. I like to know exactly what's on and what's coming next. And so I listen to my own playlists and podcasts and I turn on the radio, I had to figure out how to use it and finally found it. And there you were. And I, I had a moment where I was like, I think that's him. Is that him? I think that's him. So it, it is a different voice. And I, I, I don't know if it's that you go into a different voice or if it's just the way it's transmitted over the airwaves or just the way you listen to the radio, your brain just is tricked into thinking this is now radio and it's not real life. Uh, maybe we have so many researchers that give us information that we can use to make us sound really good. Maybe the, maybe the engineers have you know, boosted the bass. So, you know, oh, let's, it's a let's, let's, make, let's make him sound really good. And, uh, but I, I can remember being a kid and listening to the radio, and you're always picturing what this person looks like. There's that, there's that hidden part of it where you're imagining what uh, the person you're listening to looks like, and, and then so often you you meet the person or you see them, and you say, "Wow, that voice comes from that person." They don't look any. That's that's for me the amazing thing with um, voice actors. I'm obsessed with voice actors, and I, I love the art of that because they can be. Any person who looks like anything can be anybody they want in voice acting because it's a cartoon. They're just, as long as they can manipulate their voice. And, you know, a young person can play an old person and all these different things. Um, do you feel like you, you're predominantly on, on the radio? Are, do you ever do video segments? Are you ever on, on video, on camera for them? No, it's, no it's, uh, it's all audio. Okay, so, so when pe- have you ever had that happen to you if people meet you uh, and be like, you don't look like uh, what I thought you would look like. The, uh, y- I think that's happened a couple of times. I remember being on the West Coast once when I, where I met somebody at a, n- a state park or a national park, and uh, he <laughs> met me because he, he listened every night. And uh, yeah, he was, he was surprised by what, by what I looked like. There have been a couple instances where, and it does not happen often because you know, sports radio is a Media now is a very niche market, and sports mm-hmm. radio is, yep. is part of Micro that. Micro markets, so, yeah. Uh, so it's it's rare that somebody will recognize your voice, but I have had that I've had that happen. So it's, uh, make you feel like a rock star, <laughs> or is it just weird? <laughs> I've heard you talking in my ears. <laughs> there was, I had somebody recognize me once for my voice, and I started getting that feeling of, oh wow, this is cool. We were at a playground with the kids. And uh, I was, my wife and I were talking, and there were a couple of moms playing with their kids. They had a play date, and they overheard me talking. And one of them said, I recognize your voice. Now, to have that happen is rare to begin with, and to have it be, it, to have it be a female was odd because generally yeah. 
the people who are listening to sports radio, it's it's a male dominated dominated audience sure. for the most part. So now I'm really confused because she has recognized my voice, and I said, "What?" And we got to talking, and the reason she recognized my voice is I had gone to a town meeting about a week and a half earlier and made a couple of comments at the town hearing, which then aired on local community access TV in town. And that is where she recognized my voice from. <laughs> Not from ESPN. <laughs> and talk about getting that high that you mentioned and all of a sudden being shot back down to earth. And you're like, oh, okay. It's, oh, she she oh remembered me from a kindergarten discussion oh at the local God. town board meeting. That is too funny. You work so hard. And then, yeah, uh, that's, I had the same thing happen to me after the viral success of my TEDx talk. I had somebody recognize me and it was like, oh, I know you. And I, and I remember being like, yes, you do. Because I have a famous TED talk, right? You know, and uh, they were like, I saw you, you did a card trick at Applebee's like 10 years ago. And I was like, oh. Okay, I'm glad you enjoyed it and remembered it. Like, hey, how about that? But uh, where's the three million people that saw my TED talk? <laughs> right, <laughs> I'm see? not one of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and and it gets to the point of one thing that I have grown into as an adult and and having a a family is that yes, I work at ESPN, but it's not who I am, you know. And so there's all these little instances that remind you that. That's what I do. It's not who I am. And so when somebody recognizes you from, you know, a discussion about what the town should do with kindergarten, you know, that, that's, that's a part of it. Or, you know, whether it's youth coaching or, you know, just all these different aspects of your life, you know, your church, there's all these things that meld together that, that make up who you are. And to that end, I always think about it that ESPN is smack dab in the middle of the state of Connecticut. Mm. And unlike other networks that might be in New York or Los Angeles or Chicago or Dallas, you know, we're in central Connecticut. And so when I walk out the door at the end of the show and I get in my car, I'm in suburban Connecticut. Right. You know, here you come out of you know the worldwide leader in sports, this huge network and you're just in suburban Connecticut and it's it's two totally different worlds, it, and but it's a great feeling. You were just talking about, you know, your what you do. It's just what you do. It's not who you are uh, with with your work. I almost feel like I kind of wonder. Do you feel like more who you are is actually the the youth sports and the guy who speaks up at the local kindergarten meeting and the you know the guy like you're probably more likely to be recognized in the grocery store for just being a guy around town than you are for ESPN. When that's here. that's absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and. You know, I'm proud of what I do professionally. I I wouldn't trade a day of it. Uh, and I've, I I started at ESPN in 1996. It's know, incredible. So it's been over two decades, and I absolutely love it. And being on, having the show on at night uh, when I'm on gives me the opportunity to be really involved in the community. Whether it's you know at the, the elementary schools when the kids were growing up, you know, volunteering there or being a, a, a sports coach you know, for soccer, basketball, softball, baseball, you know, you name the sport. And then like I, I was involved with the kids. And because of the hours 
that I do work, it really opened up the door to be able to do those kind of things, uh, which yes, has, I think, impacted you know, a lot of the kids that you know, we've coached over the years. And it's, it, it's cool to have that impact on people one-on-one because when you're doing radio, you're talking one-on-one, air quotes, to somebody, even though you're going out over 500 some odd regular radio stations, Sirius XM, uh, you know, the app, you know, whatever the medium is that ESPN is going out over and you're, you're talking to multiple people at one time, but it's still a very one-on-one and it's a very personal relationship. If you're listening to the radio or this podcast, it's a, it's a one-on-one discussion that we're having and yet it's for the masses. Whereas, but I never see right those masses whereas when you're when you're involved in the community regardless of what it is youth sports whatever there's there's that personal connection that you're having with somebody uh, that can grow over the years and it's it's a fantastic feeling when you when you see somebody develop into a young young adult well i mean i, I don't know how much you're you're willing to so you can stop me if you don't want to you know, some people have a hard line about talking about their personal family when they come on shows like this. Um, but staying generally, you know, uh, kind of vague here, it's been such a, a like an honor, like because I got in with your family and became kind of a, uh, you know, this, you know, kind of coming in and out of your family for now, since like you said, your oldest was, um, your oldest was about probably about 10 and the younger was, would have been would have been six at the time. Would have been six, yeah. And watching, having spent the last eight years essentially being a part of their lives, even kind of from a, well from afar, but then not even from afar anymore. You know, I it's I because I don't have kids. I've never experienced that. Your your kids are the first time I've ever really experienced that. Watching someone grow and develop and change and find out who they are and test this and fail at that and survive things. And it's, um, it's one of the reasons when, you know, my wife and I recently decided we wanted to buy a house and settle, we decided to settle in this community because, you know, communities like this, uh, have that, uh, have that as a part of them. Um, do your kids think it's cool what you do? The, <laughs> y- yes. Um, it, and <laughs> here's a good, story because every year ESPN has a company picnic and and what ESPN does and it's a fantastic event they there's a there's an amusement park in the center of Connecticut which happens to be right across the street from ESPN it's called Lake Compounds mm-hmm. and it's it goes back hundreds of years it's 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 an ancient park but it's it's fun ESPN invites all its employees and their families to spend a day there at the end of summer, and it's only ESPN employees. It's a it's a tremendous event. Our kids love it. One of the first times that I can remember taking the kids there, when they were cognizant of, of what was going on around them, they we were getting out of the car, we're putting sunscreen on them in the back of the SUV, and two teenagers walked behind the car and one said to the other, you know, we might see some famous people here. And my youngest said to my older child, famous people? You mean like Mr. Burr? Who happened to be a neighbor of ours who also worked at ESPN at the time. 
And here's their father who's on <laughs> hundreds of radio stations and satellite radio every night. And they think that our neighbor is famous, but not dad. It's just, he's dad. <laughs> and again, you know, just that shot to the ego. And you're like, yeah, yep, just like Mr. Burr. And yeah. uh, Mr. Burr is now at the Golf Channel doing quite well for himself. Oh, good. Yep. And we, we see him all the time on TV and still friends. But, but yes, that was the... That was another one of those moments that I said, well, yep, my kids like what I do. <laughs> is, do you feel like, and maybe it hasn't quite changed yet as they're getting older, but I can tell you from my experience, because I have a, a famous father in his industry, you know, he's properly famous in his industry. Um, I didn't get it when I was a kid. Even probably by 18, I still hadn't really understood the kind of global contribution he had made to his field and like how big a deal like his work was in his field. Um, and, you know, it was probably somewhere in college that I really understood what it means to make a contribution to a field of study, to affect people on a bigger scale. And you know what I mean? And and so I have a feeling if, if they haven't Yet they they will at some point recognize it. It's hard to get out of that perspective of dad, you know, when it's your dad. The the kids, for those who don't know, ESPN is owned by Disney. Mm -hmm. That that came about in the mid '90s, mid to late '90s, and so as a cast member, there are certain perks that we as employees have at Disney. My mother-in-law is a snowbird and spends her winters in Orlando, so we go down and visit and we have the opportunity often to, to go to Disney. That's how the kids perceive <laughs> what I do. That's what they, you know, oh, dad works at ESPN, they're owned by Disney, that's really cool. Don't leave now, there's more good stuff coming up. The intimacy about audio, though, is why I'm so enamored with podcasts, why I wanted to launch my own, why I listen to so many. I, I, I think there's something that, you know, we think video is intimate because we see them, but I feel like we're more aware of the screen. We're more aware of the, the barrier uh, when we're watching it on video. We know that there was a camera and, a, and that, that there's a screen and I can bump into it. But when you've got your earbuds on or you're in your car by yourself and the, you're just listening to someone's voice, there's something very personal and very intimate um, I always said when I first started this show, I wanted people to feel like they were eavesdropping on a private conversation, um, which hopefully is the tone that that we've been able to strike here. Uh, you know, this show is all about uh, human connection and, and chance encounters and the ripple effect. And we, we've we've talked a, actually a, a lot about that um, by way of community and everything already. I do want to ask you in a moment about your story of a chance encounter uh, that uh, I'm sure you're ready to tell because that's what everybody comes on to do. Before I ask you about that, I just want to drill in for a moment about that. Uh, a story or two ago, we went off on a few tangents, but a little while ago, we, we were talking about the fact that radio is kind of isolating, that you know that there's a global audience, there's a mass audience out there, but you're really just speaking essentially to no one, right? You're speaking to a mic, you're speaking to whoever happens to be listening. It's personal for them, does it feel isolating to you? And how do you connect with an audience? What do you do to try to connect with people that you actually, you're speaking to intimately, but are not actually there? The, the simplest answer is I picture, 
if you think about how you listen to, in this case, radio or satellite radio, whatever medium you're listening to, let's say you're in your car. The chances of you having five people in your car listening to that broadcast is probably low. There are probably times where you and your friends went to uh, uh, an NFL game on Sunday and you carpooled and you're, and you're driving home after the game and you're turning on the, the sports radio station to listen to the talk. But probably if you're commuting, if you're running errands, many times you're in your car alone listening to the radio. And, and if it has, happens to be ESPN, great. So I often envision myself talking to one person in a car. So I'm, I'm, I'm picturing you, Brian, driving in your car, and I'm telling you, talking to you uh, about whatever we're, di- we're discussing at the moment. I worked with a guy who needed a visual. He, right in the studio on top of the microphone, on top of the soundboard, would put a teddy bear. And he would talk to that teddy bear, uh, and that was his visual cue. Uh, but, you know, if you I just imagine that one person listening, whether they're sitting in their living room, sitting in, but you know, often sitting in a car is how I envision it. Yeah, and that's how you go from uh, feeling like you're broadcasting, uh, like yelling to a large group and just talking to talking with, communicating with somebody. That I think the best advice I ever got as a speaker and as a magician, as a performer, you know, when you look at that big, you got an audience of 100 or 500 or 1,000, when you look at them, Instead of seeing I'm performing to or I'm speaking to 500 people once, you imagine um, I'm speaking to one person times 500, mm-hmm. right? That I'm just, you, you pick one person at a time and you just do the show for them or you speak to them or you, you, know, you tell the story for them and then you move to a different person, but you're always doing it one person times however many people are in the room. Is that, is that feel like? Well, and I, and I think you touched on it. it it's broadcasting a one-on-one interaction, and and they're they're at polar opposite parts of the spectrum. You know, broadcasting one-on-one conversations, which I think is different between radio and, and a medium like television, because the camera's there, and and I think there's an expectation that there's more than one person on the other side of this television watching uh, whatever we're doing, as opposed to radio, which is a much more intimate medium. So. Yeah, I mean, literally, even if you've taken a, a re- more recent example of... Um, and, it's, and, and, uh, and I think radio's a much more immediate medium, too. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, you know, not just the one-on-one part, but it's, it's now, it's what's happening now, whereas televisions can be a little more extended, evergreen, especially with some of the, you know, obviously the programs, as opposed to news, but uh, radio is now in the moment and one-on-one yeah. interaction. Have you seen on Netflix David Letterman's new show? It's uh, I've my, seen my clips of guest. it. I've, um, I've seen clips of it. I have not watched. It's it's excellent. I wasn't I wasn't a huge Letterman fan when you know he had his famous show, but I'm actually a much bigger fan of him now that he is playing less of a character and he's just being David Letterman. He's like a, just an, a magnificent interviewer, conversationalist, and and this new show is definitely worth checking out. But I. What I was just thinking as you were saying that was um, if when I'm watching it, if I'm sitting on my couch, even if I'm by myself and I'm watching it on Netflix, I don't feel like I'm part of the conversation. I don't feel like I'm in the audience. I feel almost voyeuristic. I feel like I'm watching these two people have a conversation, um, almost like I'm spying on them. But 
I bet if I were to turn the screen off or just listen to that conversation, if it was a podcast form and it may be somewhere, if it was just the audio in my ears, I bet it would feel like I was sitting right at the table with them and I just wasn't actually, and I was just listening instead of speaking and that they were having that conversation sitting with me. So I, 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 I love the, um, the audio medium. And if you think about uh, the ends of shows, the conclusions of shows like Casey Kasem, and mm. keep your feet on the ground, keep reaching for the stars. Yeah. I had uh, a friend who would close out the show with, and this may be paraphrasing, but it was, it was to thank the listener. Thank you for being here. Otherwise, it would just be two guys in the studio talking about sports. Mm-hmm. Two guys in a room talking about sports. Yeah. And, and, and almost like that Letterman-esque thing that you're eavesdropping on, on a conversation might have, if, if you've got multiple hosts on a show and there's just a couple people talking about the sports and now you're eavesdropping on that conversation and that can be magical if, yeah. if the pairing's right. You're listening to the Wonder Person Podcast. Tell your friends. Let's, uh, if you got a story of a chance encounter, we're dancing around connections and connecting with people. Uh, I don't know if it's personal or professional. What, uh, what comes to mind? When I was a freshman in college, and again, I had radio in my mind from my childhood when I would pretend in my room to be a DJ on a radio station. But again, I went to college for journalism and radio really wasn't top of mind. Freshman year, I was taking a 100 level broadcasting course, which happened to be taught. The adjunct professor at the time was also the morning show host on on one of the stations in the Hudson Valley of New York. And when you're a freshman at school, you're not necessarily ingrained in that community. So I, you know, I, I knew who he was, but it, I didn't grow up there. So I, I, you know, he wasn't as big to me as he was to some of the other people in the community, uh, his name. First day of class, we're going around the classroom, introducing ourselves, telling a little bit about ourselves. And he got to me. I introduced myself. I, don't, I have no idea what I said. And his response was, you've got a great voice for radio. Have you ever thought about radio? And here I'm a freshman in college, just taking this course because I have to for my major. Like, no, I haven't really thought about, not really. And then as I started doing some more journalism and I had the summer where I was doing interviews with with musicians and I just, I still had that in the back of my mind. Oh, I have... I have what it could take for radio. Wow, this this could this could work. And then I started doing it my senior year of college. I'm like, I like this. And it was that little seed that was planted that apparently had already been there. Maybe he just watered it, mm. and and now it's starting to bloom. And I'm like, okay, I this works. And fast forward 25 years, we my wife and I are at a celebration for my aunt and uncle's wedding anniversary in Utica, New York, central New York state at a country club where they've invited all their friends to come celebrate their anniversary. We walk into this party, there's music playing. I look over and the DJ behind the table is Stu, the professor I had my freshman year. And now, you know, I've gone on, I've gone into radio, I'm at ESPN. And I went up and I said, you know, it was your comment on day one of this freshman 100-level course that I think has always been in the back of my mind as I've gone through and I've, I've landed to where I am now. 
That's unbelievable. What was his reaction to that? I think he was blown away. He uh, flattered, obviously. Did he remember it? I don't know if he remembered the comment. Yeah. He, he remembered me because we were we were in the same market for a sure, while. Sure. Sure. Uh, but I don't I don't know if he remembered making that comment. It was you know he he was a professor at a for a freshman class, <laughs> and I I don't I don't know if he remembered that. But yeah, we had a nice chat and he he was flattered. I keep finding over and over again that the moments that set people off on their course, whether they're aware of it at the time or find it in retrospect, you know, connect the dots looking backwards. Um, the people who instigated, the people who, who said the thing that got you on that course, don't even remember doing it. That it's, it's, not, it's not usually the, I attended a motivational speaker and walked out inspired and I went to whatever or, you know. Which I've had plenty of those too. Sure. They're, they're, you know, life is made up of all these little moments that just impact you. And whether it's, you know, uh, we, we talked about youth coaching. I've been to a number of softball clinics. One of the speakers that I've had the privilege of chatting with during these conferences is a former coach at UCLA who's been part mm. of 11 national championships in UCLA softball, Sue Enquist. And just hearing her if nothing else, motivates you to go out and coach and, and help these girls get to where they want to be and, and uh, when, you're, when you're coaching them in softball. And just whether it's softball or part of life, you know, to, to hear a former Division I coach can be so eye-opening. And I'll give you an example of something that she taught. When she was recruiting kids at UCLA, the recruiting would begin in the parking lot. They would watch out the window of the families pulling up in their car. Who opens the door for who? Who walks in first? And just the dynamic of the family. And all these little things that go into making a person, you you take back and when you're coaching, you say, okay, it's it's not just about balls and strikes and and grounders and and pop-ups and fundamentals. It's it's about growing the person, which, you know, just falls into this whole sports canopy. Uh, But you can get motivated by that. DeWitt Jones, for, uh, former National Geographic photographer, you know, I remember coming across something of his online, his tagline, celebrate what's right with the world. You know, and just that, that was a chance encounter. You know, I wasn't yeah. expecting to see that come through my feed. And, and, but just that tagline makes you say, oh, okay, let me look at life a little bit differently now. Just all these little moments that lead up to to, to make us who we are. You, you, you've come back to it, whether you intended to or not, the youth coaching has come up over and over and over uh, again. It feels like it's a, it's a big, important part of your, your life. Um, what do you hope that your kids, either right now or someday when they're able to, you know, look back and compartmentalize dad apart from the professional and all these other things, what do you hope your kids will, will, will take away from you as as a parent as a teacher as a coach as a model you know in the professional world what what do you hope what are the values that you're hoping that from your career that they they'll take with them the one of the key things that i've grown into as a coach is that it's not always about the game that we're playing right now it's about developing the person and whether it's 
my kid, whether it's somebody else's kid that you've been entrusted with for you know, their four years of high school. or I can remember my high school baseball coach, and I still see him from time to time. And I can say, I remember when you told me this, and I still think about that today, decades later. And if, if I can coach somebody now in high school who a couple of decades from now says, you know, Coach Jay, I remember you saying this, or you taught me about this, you know, whether it's my kid or somebody else's kid, that is so satisfying mm-hmm. that, that you were able to pass on some nugget of information about life uh, that it really makes you feel good. So many of the most important things I learned from my dad are related to sports. It's so funny because I, I was a, like, I was a decent athlete, good enough to be on the team, not good enough to play, you know, on like the high, like that, that was how I always was. I was good enough to be on the high level teams, the travel teams, AAU teams, but not, I was good enough to put in if we were up by a million points or down by a million points, if there was no chance of me affecting the game, I was in. And I've, I've told this story, I think, only once ever before. I think it was in written form on my blog, and I, I think you'll appreciate this. Um, there was a time when my travel team was at an away game, and we were all warming up. And I don't know how old we were, 12 or something, and we were warming up. And we were all struggling with this rim. These rims were just like, they were like bricks. And, and the, we, we were just ricocheting every shot off the rim. And, and our star, one of our star players, you know, um, this kid, John, he just, he yelled. My dad was my coach my whole life. He was my coach in everything. And, you know, Coach Miller, you know, dad to me, but Coach Miller to everybody else. Dr. Miller, if you're in the professional world, he had all these different hats. And so John yelled, he goes, you know, he goes, coach, you know, these rims are too hard. And my dad puts up his hands in that universal pass me the ball sign, right? John passes him the ball. My dad catches it and in one smooth motion just goes right up into the air, lets it go from two feet behind the three-point arc, swish, straight through. The ball bounces. We all look back up at my dad, who's just got that stupid grin across his face. And he goes, don't hit the rim. And I'll never forget that moment because one, it was just jaw dropping and hysterical, but I still think about the life lesson contained within that, that the solution to so many problems are contained within the problem. Like we're having trouble with the rims. Don't hit the rim. The solution's right there. You just had to look at it from a slightly different perspective. So like, like in baseball or in this case, softball, you know, we Willie Keeler would just choke up on the bat and wait, how are you successful at, at bat? Hit them where they ain't. And that's, <laughs> it's not rocket science. Hit it where the fielders are not standing. Right. <laughs> like, like obviously. Right. And, um, and then sometimes I think things are much easier than we make them. And really our job, especially as professionals, but probably as a parent and definitely as a coach is to actually just recognize the solution and then get out of the way right, is to, to, to let the thing do its job and that by us just getting out of the way of it. And, I, and I've said that a lot. In sports particularly, practice is where you practice. That's where you do your teaching. The games are the exams. You don't have teachers walking around a classroom during an exam telling you how to solve a problem, right? We, we learn how to solve the problem during practice. Now, hopefully, I've done that well enough so that when we go out to a game, that I don't have to, hey, choke up, or I'm not trying to micromanage while you're playing, because I don't want you to think when you're playing. 
I want you to think and practice, get the muscle memory at that point so that during a game, you're just doing it. And, and the same thing for life. You know, you learn, learn the lessons now. When you're an adult, just do it. Just, just go. Sponsored by Nike. <laughs> <laughs> but see, you were a much better athlete than I was because, you know, soccer, for example, I, I was the goalie because I didn't have to run. Right? That was, that was, I, got to, I got to use my hands and I didn't have to run. That, was, that is a position I would have never wanted to play. I never wanted to be the goalie or the catcher in baseball. My brother, my little brother was a catcher. I was like, oh man, I don't want that thing coming at my face every play. I don't even want it coming at me at second base. I liked <laughs> baseball. I liked playing first base because you were in just enough of the plays to make it worthwhile. You weren't in all the plays, but, but it was busy enough at first base to... to to keep your interest. Yeah, I played first base for the last couple of years of baseball. I enjoy, I enjoyed first. It's harder than people realize. Oh, yeah. it, it, it's like, no, you don't just stand there and catch the ball. That job's a nightmare. But but uh, it gives you all that, you know, it gives you all that experience, yeah. which you cannot rely on when you get to ESPN. You can't say, well, you know, when I was in Little League. Right, right, right. And there was this ball in the dirt, and the, the, here's how I scooped it up. You know, the, that's why ESPN has the... the analysts and the the experts that we have because you know I, I can't rely on you know my athletic career ended in high school I can't rely on that as as the expertise right uh, for for ESPN but it does give you a basis of knowledge so that you know what's going on well you have something tangible to draw from when you're talking about you know other things right even if you never say well i remember when i was five and i played t-ball but like at least in your head you go you know i've you can you can empathize a little bit more with the players with what the coaches are going through when you've done that even if you did it at a low level that you wouldn't is not even worth talking about and, you, and you've done coaching at a much higher level than than you're talking about your playing but just to be able to go I can put myself in that headspace, and that probably helps you explain the stories and and connect with the listeners, like we were talking about before. And the the more you know, and this is true for any field, the, the more you, the more you know about the subject you're talking about, the more confident you are right. in doing it. When when I'm coaching high school softball, you need any youth sport, for example, you need to know more about that particular sport than the parents of the kids that you're coaching. Or at least make it look like you do because they'll eat you up if you have to be the smartest person in the room about that particular topic. And the and same holds true in, in many regards to being at ESPN. We can't be experts on every sport. Even, sure. if, even if you watch TV, there are, there are people who specialize in different sports. And you know, some who do NFL, college basketball, NBA, hockey. But when on a nightly basis, if a, if a story breaks, now I've got to go do some research and, and read up on whatever particular topic we're going to be talking about so that I can sound informed and intelligent when I'm, when I'm telling you about it uh, on, the, on the show. Someone that I knew a few years ago was a, um, is a, uh, a sports writer uh, for, a, and he's been in a bunch of the the big ones, the big publications, the big name magazines. I don't need to mention them because I don't need to single him out. Um, oh, this is a positive story, not a negative one. Um, and excellent sports writer. But then he got asked uh, to go cover the Olympics. And it was like, dream come true, right? So he gets to go cover it, finds out he's been assigned to curling. He, he knows, he's like, he, he, was a, he was a basketball expert. Like, he was a basketball writer. That's all he did. 
and he's doing curling, but it's the Olympics. So you go and you do it. And he's like, literally, I was just Wikipediaing and Googling and learning everything I could like in these tiny little windows before I was live on air at the Olympics talking about curling as if I was the expert <laughs> and people were listening to me talk about curling. He was like, it was crazy. But he goes, by the time I was done with the Olympics, I was an expert on curling. I love this sport now. <laughs> if there is one sport that I have grown to love since starting at ESPN, it is curling. Really? What about it? Because... It's a combination of athleticism and chess, and that's why I don't think I'd be very good at it if I tried, because I'm not good at chess. I could, I could throw the rock down the ice, but it's, it's the thinking four moves ahead part that, that, that will throw me. But when you're sitting in a studio like I am, and you've got, uh, for the most part, curling's on a lot in the winter, so you get NBA games on over here, college basketball over here, but we can get networks like TSN in Canada or the CBC and you know, so things that I don't have access to at my house. Uh, so I can sit there and I can watch curling hmm. uh, you know, on, a, on a nightly basis, watch the Canadian National Championship or the World Championships in Sweden or something. And, and it's fascinating because you know, the, there's a sport that is not mainstream in the U.S. No. But you when you watch it and you start to understand a new sport it becomes exciting you're like oh okay I, this is cool and i see what they're doing and it's not it's not as easy as it looks i'll pay him a dollar if you listen to the one new person podcast one of the topics i've been thinking of a lot lately and my listeners know this because they've heard me now this season bring it up in basically every conversation is the role that luck plays in success um, the more I talk to successful people, no matter how they define success, I find over and over and over again that chance encounters, uh, which is a, to me is a form of luck, you don't find successful people with an absence of luck, some luck, often a lot of it. Like I, I, I find the more successful someone is, it's, it seems like the more lucky they are. Um, so I've been asking everybody who's smart and successful that I know, and I don't have anybody who's not smart and successful on my podcast, so... Um, first, do you believe in luck? Um, you know, do you have an idea of like what luck is? Like, are you able to, to, you know, kind of define it? Like, so do you believe in it? Like, can you define it? And, and what do you think the role of luck and success is? I would not be at ESPN without luck. When I graduated college, I started working at a small radio station. And then after working there for I think a couple of years, I was laid off as part of, I was being laid off as part of budget cuts. The day that I had that conversation with the boss, I went home thinking, what am I going to do? My phone rings with a friend of mine from a radio station across the street. I, to this day, have no idea if he knew I was getting laid off or, it was, or if it was just dumb luck, saying, why don't you come work with us? Two weeks later, I'm working over there. Never had a gap in work. Got a two-week notice at one job. Started two weeks later at the station across the town. And that station was bigger and better. And people from that station had... It was a launching pad for people. We had somebody I worked with went to Bloomberg. Somebody uh, else went to Showtime, CNN Radio. CNBC and and then me ESPN. So it was really a, and and there was one other who went to WFAN in New York and now is at, uh, at ABC and ESPN. So it really turned out to be a launching pad. When I was working 
at that second station to set the scene. ESPN in its inception, ESPN radio was broadcasting only Saturday and Sunday nights. We were, uh, the network would only broadcast Saturday and Sunday nights. So everybody that was working at ESPN radio came in, they worked somewhere else Monday through Friday. They would come into Connecticut for Saturday and Sunday, work the two nights and then back off to their quote unquote regular jobs. And one of those people I worked with in the Hudson Valley of New York, and his name was Jeff. Jeff would work Monday through Friday at our radio station. He would go over to ESPN on the weekends. He got married. They were going to start a family. No longer could he work seven days a week. ESPN asked him, Jeff, do you know anybody who could do your job? Oh, well, there's Jay. So ESPN called me. It's a a long, drawn-out story, but you talk about luck. That was right place, right time. They called me. I I drove to Connecticut to interview at ESPN. As an aside, they had, at the time, I don't think it's part of the practice anymore, but you had to have a drug test coming (laughs) in to work. That was one of the first things I did before the interview. Had the interview, felt great. I'm on cloud nine. I get back to upstate New York. I get called the next day. You have to come back. There's something wrong with the drug test. Oh, my God. My mind is racing. This was the time where, oh, did I eat a lemon poppy seed muffin? You know, did that cause the negative test result? <laughs> Sitcom moment. All these things are rushing through my head. How did I blow my opportunity at ESPN? They couldn't tell me what was wrong with the drug test. It wound up being a chain of command thing, so they never even tested anything. But I didn't know that, and I'm sweating, and I'm I'm like, oh, I, I've blown my chance at ESPN came back, everything was fine, and and here we are now. Here but, we are. But I remember those couple of hours just being absolutely panicked that what could have possibly gone wrong. <laughs> wow. But so yes, the two major lucky moments yeah. uh, over the course of my adult life have have put me there. To pull this together, then um, I, I'd love if you could uh, kind of leave our listeners, especially I have a lot of young adults and young professionals, kind of, I've got a lot of college and grad students and kind of like, you know, that 20 to 35 kind of millennials that are at the beginning of their careers who listen to this, um, as well as educators who work, a lot of educators are listening who, who work with that age group. Would you have a tip or advice? What would you tell any of them? And in particular, if you want to tie it into what we were just talking about, what advice would you give someone who's just getting started to make themselves more lucky or more likely to be lucky to have those kind of, you know, opportunities. One big thing that I learned, the more versatile you can make yourself, the more valuable you are. The more you can do within your field gives you more opportunities within that field. In radio, for example, yes, I can talk into a microphone, but I can also edit sound. I can, there's so many little things that go into a broadcast that, that I know how to do. I, I can run the audio board if I, if I need to. Mm. Just understanding everything that goes into what I do helps me and has helped me get to where I am. There was a part of my career where I would be at a radio station and I would know what's going on in the front office. Not, you know, not paychecks, but running the commercials and things like that. Just knowing how the commercials on the on the radio would get produced. Just every little thing. The, the more you know about your 
field, the better you are. And the more you can do it, regardless of how much you're getting paid, go out and do it. You know, if, if you need to intern for another summer, if you need to uh, work for lunch money, you know, those little things will, will boost you along the way and make you more valuable down the road. That advice uh, for, for pushing for variety um, and learning more and more about your industry, I think that's going to really, really help, especially as... And the more questions you can ask, the more you're going to learn. Uh, uh, I've been in positions where I've hired people, you know, and, and even if I couldn't hire somebody, I would take the time to talk to them about, in the industry, you know, in, in radio, for example, you would send in audio of yourself. And so I would take the time to, to coach somebody. Here's where I would improve. Here's just take a half an hour and, and, and talk to them about what they're doing uh, and, and help broaden their base and, and learn more because we never stop learning. And, and even in broadcasting, Yes, I'm doing sports now, and, and I try to know as much about sports as I, I can. But over the course of, of my career, I've interviewed musicians. I've interviewed the Dalai Lama. I've interviewed Jack Nicholas. You know, so, Wait a second. We've had this whole conversation, and you haven't talked about interviewing the Dalai Lama? Do I have to bring you back? Is that, are you holding that one out? How did you just slide in the Dalai Lama to that But But there's just so much that you need... Yeah, you know, we had lunch. We... <laughs> but, and, and the more you know about all these different facets of life, it, you know, the, the better you will do. But even, but even in music, whether, whether you're talking to the Bengals or Mickey Dolans or, or, or Metallica or the Dalai, right? There's so, mu there's so much different, even just within music. And, and yes, the, the Dalai Lama, you know, remember walking and interviewing him. What do you say to the Dalai Lama? Peace. <laughs> I can't, were you, were you nervous? This, this is, now this is a tangent, but I'm just mostly personally curious. Were you nervous to interview the Dalai Lama? No. He's, he was very calm and welcoming and there, there was no anxiety. Huh. We, we were walking outside in, in upstate New York and just in a like a meadow, a field at, at this facility, we were walking side by side. And no, there, there was no anxiety from anybody. It's just a very calm and relaxing atmosphere and made it made it very easy. Was it was it a good was it enlightening? <laughs> For the listeners, I guess. <laughs> I, you know, I was I was there. I was just curious under under what context were you were you interviewing the Dalai Lama? He he was making a visit to uh, the Hudson Valley of New York. I don't remember the context of the visit, and and I don't I, and I don't remember the circumstances of the world at the time. I want to say it was during the Clinton presidency, but but he you know he came in, so we probably talked a few current events and and just about life and hmm. it was it was a relatively brief interview but still it was it's it was wild the, it was the Dalai Lama I mentioned President Clinton I, visit, I covered two of his presidential visits to the Roosevelt Museum in Hyde Park New York no kidding um, 
there's a great video of him and Boris Yeltsin laughing on the steps of, of the Roosevelt Library, and I was probably 50 feet away at the, at the time. Wow. The, two, the two of them were joking. and Just some, some great moments over That's wild. 30 years of radio. Yeah. Any uh, parting advice for students looking to get into broadcast journalism, looking to get into radio in, in the world, you know, where we're at now in the, in the digital medium with everything kind of in flux? Any, any parting wisdom in case any of, any of those folks are listening? There, there's two parts. One, get as good at your craft as you can do. If you want to do baseball or soccer play-by-play, don't be embarrassed to sit in a corner of, of a stadium and talk into your voice recorder and just do the game as it's going on. Because that you only, one of my early journalism professors said the best way to become a good print writer is to read. So the more you read, the better you become as a writer. Same thing with broadcasting. The more you listen and the more you do it, the better you become at it and and keep up with the technological advances of the industry yes we're we've talked a lot about radio but radio really the the term these days is probably audio because it's you're you're on the radio medium but there's there's satellite and podcasts and there's so many different media uh, to cover now, and and who knows where it's going to be in in five years? There's there's going to be different things too. So so the more you can keep up with technology and social media to get yourself out there, then you know, you'll make yourself valuable. Great. Well, uh, listen, I, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Uh, hopefully, this was enjoyable for you. I think my listeners are going to get a really enjoyable conversation uh, uh, out of this, and it was very different from a lot of the ones that I've had. And uh, we covered a lot of a lot of uh, different territory. What do you think the odds are I can come check out that studio at ESPN sometime? Love to have you. Yeah, I'm there every day. <laughs> You're there, what, but how late would I need to be up <laughs> to make that <laughs> roll in, roll in in my pajamas at 2 a.m.? Um, anyway, thank you so much for doing this, and I really appreciate it. That's it? Thanks. That's it. <laughs> Before you grab your phone and do your best impression of a radio host, here are a few takeaways from this episode. First, what you do is not who you are. It's good to enjoy your job, and hopefully you love what you do, but at the end of the day, it's the impact you make on the people you meet that really matters more than any title. Second, coaching youth athletics is about growing the person, not the athlete. Might that also be true of leadership in the workplace? And finally, the best job security is to be good at lots of things, instead of great at only one thing. This may run counter to what we've been told for years about niching down, but there's really something to be said for the idea that versatility equals value. Subscribe to the podcast at onenewperson.com for more conversations like this with leaders, visionaries, and all-around great people. While you're there, check out the show While you're there, check the show notes for related links and additional resources from this episode. If you found this or any episode valuable, consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes. It really helps. 
I'm Brian Miller. This is One New Person, and we'll see you next time.